millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. True Hauntings is a frightfully good production. When you travel to Queensland's remote western region, you will experience some of the best parts of the Australian outback. It never ceases to amaze me just how lonely and remote it is out there. There are endless straight roads, red dust, blue sky and wild landscapes. Isn't this exactly what you'd expect from the outback? It's a part of Australia that allows you to feel its vastness and remoteness. Each of the small towns you encounter on your travels through this part of this great land has its own character, history and little secrets. Sometimes these secrets can get just a little weird and spooky. One of the stories that has been told by visitors to the outback is about the Min Min Lights. These strange lights were known to the indigenous people of the area and the first white man to talk about the lights goes all the way back to the first years of the 20th century. What are the Min Min lights, you might ask? Are they ancient? Are they of this world? Why do they appear and then vanish from sight? Are they an omen of bad luck? Hi, my name is Renata. And I'm Anne, and this episode of the True Hauntings podcast, we will examine the phenomenon of the Min Min lights and listen from those that have experienced them firsthand. Anne and Renata have been investigating paranormal occurrences for the past 20 years. They have been at the center of various unexplained phenomena and have witnessed countless ghostly experiences. The duo now turn to high-profile cases that have attracted the eyes of the world. Between the dimensions we see and the dimensions we don't, supernatural forces are at play. Evil lurks within the shadows of our homes and in the darkest corners of our minds. It follows us like a shadow forever. This is where nightmares become reality. This is True Hauntings. Welcome back to the studio, Anne. Oh, thank you so much, Auntie Renata. Auntie Nada, we're calling her now. Everyone loves calling us the naughty aunties, and I must say, I am enjoying very much so being called the naughty auntie. So I've got Auntie Nata and Auntie Anne. That's cool. Yes, I do like it. And I you do know what? Like I, I actually avoided being called Auntie Anne for so long. I didn't like it, but uh, now I'm embracing it. Good. Very good. Because you don't like ghost grannies. No, I don't. Speaking of which, we are going travelling. We've had an exciting few days because finally, 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 we are getting our next year's travel agenda. Yes. Ready? Yes. Now, in May, we are going to Ireland. Yes. And to England. Yes. And to America. Yes. 
Yes. <laughs> We've actually now booked our flight for uh, Dublin. So mm-hmm. we're going to be flying uh, straight to Dublin uh, and we're going to arrive there on think on the 18th of May and then we're going to meet up with Danielle and we're going to try and get some ghost tours or ghost hunts in mm-hmm. um, and we're going to be more in the, the main Ireland this time. We, I don't think we'll get time to go up to Northern Ireland because mm-hmm. we're only there for about five or six days because then we've got to go back for a wedding. A wedding. Yes. The wedding of Beth. We yes. are so excited. Um, and then we've got to fly to America, because we're speaking at the Women's uh, Paranormal Conference, which uh, by the time we get to this, it will have been three years since we were actually meant to speak. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we've we've struggled with the flights because it's a seven and a half, eight hour flight from London to Boston or New York. And the flights are like $1,700. And we're going, what the hell? Mm-hmm. And then I had a little brainiac idea and I thought, I'm going to look up to see how much it would cost if we flew from Dublin. Lo and behold, it drops to about five to seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. It's because you're going from Heathrow or London. They've got all these taxes and issues, and um, it's cheaper to fly from those other airports. So mm-hmm. then I thought, why Dublin? Why don't we fly from somewhere else? Why not somewhere like Amsterdam? <laughs> And stay in a haunted hotel there. Yes. Just for two nights in the red light district. Yes. Can you imagine the naughty aunties being confronted (sighs) by what goes on in the red light district? I can hardly wait. I think we'll have to take a GoPro with us Uh and um, document us hitting Amsterdam for a couple of days. But then it'll only cost us about, again, five to $700 to fly from there over to the United States. And it's a seven-hour flight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the other flights that were cheaper were, um, I don't know, about 15, 20 hours to go that seven to eight hours. Goodness. So um, I'm I'm feeling very pleased with myself that yes. I found this little cheat. Yes. So we'll keep you informed of uh, what we end up booking. But uh, yeah, we might have a little bit of a um, segway. Segway. A segway somewhere else. I've never been to Amsterdam. Yeah. So um, it, that's very exciting for me. I have, very but not very very briefly on a. Um, I know it's been twice actually. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those uh, whirlwind bus trips where it's eight days in 13 countries yeah. oh, <laughs> it was very brief and um we went there with my dad husband and our two very small children so there was no sex shows for us <laughs> no. No. Uh, but if you would like to support us on our journey you can become one of our patreons we have the grand Pooh bars and they get to go in this little secret group where we tell them all the juicy gossip of everything that's going on in the background um and some of our trauma that we face mm-hmm. as we go they get the juicy stuff so please find us on patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n look for Anne and renata frightfully good and please become one of our patreons and help us get to this journey we're only buying our flights in little stages so that we can afford to do it and we would appreciate your support anyway what else do we have to talk about or is that enough i think that's enough let's get on with this uh very australian story yeah As she got out of the car, Louise Bealby knew immediately that she wasn't alone. She suddenly sensed the presence of two men, 
She talked out loud as she walked hesitantly up the ridge to the gate, as much in hope of making them understand as to maintain some semblance of calm. We were just passing through, she said. There's nothing to worry about. We've just taken a wrong turn and we'll be out of here soon. It took all her will to withhold her instinct to run. They're on Bilinara land, 450 kilometres southwest of Catherine in the Northern Territory, somewhere near the tiny remote community of Pigeonhole. The three of them, Bilby, Ruth and Richard, got lost in the bush trying to take a shortcut back to Top Springs where they could stay the night. As remote as it was, they were not alone in that vast, sparse landscape. This was Min Min Light Country. A tingling at the nape of her neck indicated her heightened state as Bilby opened the gate to let the car through. In the eerie red of the car's reverse lights, she clasped the gate shut and sprinted back to the safety of the car. Later that night, cradling a beer at the Top Springs Hotel, Ruth took advantage of a rare moment the two women had alone without Richard. She turned to Bilby and asked her outright if she believed in spirits. Bilby's mother had always instilled in her a respect for spirits. She'd grown up surrounded by various degrees of psychic. Her mother had premonitions and her sister could communicate with people who had died. So yes, she more than believed. She knew. As a Gangari Gamalare woman, spirits had always been part of her life. I may be a vanilla Aboriginal one, but you know, you still can't get that spiritual connection thing out, Bilby says. It was obvious to her why Ruth was asking. The presence she had sensed at the gate on the ridge was not something she could imagine. Reciprocating Ruth's abruptness, Bealby asked Ruth what had happened back there at the gate. Oh, Ruth seemed taken aback, surprised that Bealby had noticed anything worth asking about. Well, when you got out, when you were opening the gate, two lights come and hung right over your head. Well, that took you by surprise, didn't it? It, it just did. ended. <laughs> it did. I was waiting for the next bit. She thought, that finished I, a bit I, abruptly. <laughs> I just got sucked into that. <laughs> well, I didn't want to go too much further into it because um, I don't want to give too much away. Mm. Okay, fair enough. So I'm going to look at the history of this. Yeah. Um, and uh, I look, I haven't been to the Australian Outback anywhere because the whole thing is just... It's I've, too I've, hot. It's I've, too I've, hot. <laughs> Hot, I've, hot, I've hot. watched too many of those movies with <laughs> what's his face in them. It scares me half to death. Our um, what do they call oh. it? Our serial killer. Oh my god, they're scary. Goodness. What is the name of that TV show with oh. him in it? He's brilliant. Um, Jared, John Jarrett. John Jarrett. John Jarrett. Yes, oh. he is absolutely freaking brilliant as that character. Yeah, um, and uh, Wolf if, Creek. Wolf Creek. Yes, and if, if no one um, knows that, go and find Wolf Creek and watch it. You'll no, I can't say you'll never go into the outback, but it is so terrifying. And I think he used to be on play school <laughs> I know. As, and and like, <laughs> hello children, look we're here today playing with Humpty Dumpty, yes. and now he's out there killing people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. 
Um, oh, did it's... I tell you I actually nearly got a role in a TV, a children's TV production? No. I was, um, oh, what was I... It was sort of like the the ugly stepmother or something like that. But then they found out that I had done deadly women and been murdering people and they couldn't <laughs> give me the role. Oh, no. <laughs> That's okay. Oh, don't, didn't, don't they know that you are a multi-talented, multifaceted? You yeah, but they be... didn't want the children to accidentally see um, <sighs> the, the fairy godmother stabbing someone and dragging them off yeah. through the bush. <laughs> Silly people. <laughs> Anyway, so let's get into this story. So the first Europeans into this particular area of Queensland that we are looking at uh, were the explorers Burke and Wills. Yeah, and they're not the first people. Okay. I'm just putting no, that no, out there. No, 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 of course. <laughs> you of did course. say European. For European. Yeah, European, European yep. yes. But we have had uh, Indigenous people on this land for thousands Millennia. and thousands of years yeah. and they have looked after australia in uh, an amazing way and then we've come along and, and gone ducked it up yeah um absolutely. and I, I apologize if i butchered those names that i did in that soundscape yeah yeah so yes burke and wills uh, first european explorers in that part of queensland and they did have an ill-fated expedition they were trying to get to the gulf of carpentaria and this was in 1860 and look it is in some of those places it's not only the heat but the lack of food the lack of resources the lack of water um, and of course the indigenous people would look at all of this and go no, but there's plenty of food and there's plenty of water out there. You've just got to know how to look for it. Just spoilt white people like to go and turn on a tap. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, yeah. So the town was – I'll just move on. I'll, I'll just move on. The town was established in 1876 to service local sheep and cattle farmers and it's got it. It got its name from the nearby waterhole, which was named Bulia by the local Pitta Pitta tribe. So Bulia is the administrative centre for the shire of the same name, and offers some good facilities for travellers. Now, depending on what you think good facilities <laughs> yeah, are, what is a good facility? Um, Do they have an air conditioner? <laughs> this is all I need to know. <laughs> uh, I think you'll be probably be able to buy food. And um, get some water and get some petrol. Beer. Yeah. Okay. Bet you can get beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and now the Shire comprises of 61,000 kilometres square with a population of 600 people, yeah, 250,000 sheep and 75,000 cattle. Yes. That's so, a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> a lot of barbars and moo-moos. It's a lot of land. <laughs> So we're talking about the area of Bulia and Min Min is now an uninhabited area of that shire. So this is the spot where uh, there was a hotel pub yeah, um, and the pub was called the Min Min pub or the Min Min Hotel. Yeah, it was located there. Now, the lights that have been seen by so many people are called the Min Min lights because this is where they were first seen. They were seen in the Shire of Bulia, mm -hmm. just around the Min Min Hotel, oh. near the graveyard that was there. Ooh. Now, of course, we are talking about white people seeing these lights. Yes. The... Indigenous people of the area have a long history with these lights 
and they will tell you stories about what they believe the lights are. Um, but you know, we we are going to concentrate on the history of when these lights became popular. Well, when, be the written history. Yeah, the written history. Right. So the first reported sighting in the Boulia area of the Min Min lights was in the 1890s, and it was over the grave at the rear of the Min Min Hotel. Now, this hotel burnt down in the early 1900s. It was the Min Min lights. They did it. They sparked it. Now, there were, there, were, <laughs> there were many such hotels on the road uh, during the heyday of Cobb & Co. Uh, and they were small stopovers um, from one large township to another large township with hundreds of kilometres in between. And the only thing that sustained Cobb and Co and the travellers that were going was through beer. the area was beer. <laughs> were, beer. were these hotels. Yeah. yeah. So Cobb and Co was founded in 1853 and it was well established in Victoria and New South Wales before the decision was made to extend uh, the company to Queensland in 1865. And on January the 1st in 1866, the first Cobb & Co coach service began between Brisbane and Ipswich. And Cobb & Co carried lots of things as well as money. Mm-hmm. And often the Cobb & Co stagecoaches uh, were the targets for bushrangers. Yes. Yeah. And so that's part of the whole Ned Kelly and the bushranger um, era. So if we had been born in that era, Renata, oh, what, what do you think we would have been in society? I think I would be dead. <laughs> I'd eat I'd something be complaining. I'd be complaining a lot about the heat. <laughs> And fainting everywhere. I'm too dizzy. I'm having a fainting spell. Oh, yeah. So what happened was that I a don't st- know what happened. Renata? <laughs> a stockman was riding by, and he saw the hovering light glowing over the cemetery at Min Min. Hey, look, Ned. There's a light hovering over there. And as he looked, the light seemed to come closer. And so he turned and hightailed it in the direction of Bullia. Giddy up, Ned. (laughs) And as he rode off into the distance, the light followed him most of the way back to town. Hi-ho, Ned, away! Now, I'm going to tell you that back in the 1800s, that would have been as scary as all get out. Yeah, that that would be like... It would have been terrifying. Yeah, witchcraft, definitely. Yep. So well, the, not that they know what that is, but, no. you know. <laughs> now, the town locals, once he got to Boulia, uh, didn't believe the story. No. And they Fall kind of it. thought, oh, they, he spent too much time out in the midday sun. Yeah, he's, he's, he's falling off things. his horse. <laughs> and look, you know, you, you can see dots and lights and things when you're dehydrated yeah. and you've been in the sun for too long. You get little wiggly lines at the side of your vision. Yeah. They're yep. ghosts. But, you know, he went into the hotel and sort of had a rest and had a bit of a drink. And then a short time later, a couple that were new to the area arrived in Bullia and they started to ask the locals about the strange light that they had encountered. Now, their experience was a little bit different in that when they moved closer to the light, it started to move away. But once they were back on the road to get to um, the hotel, the light started to follow them again, almost all the way into the township. 
Now, this wasn't the only thing. A few days later... Yes. Um, I'm, I'm, I've got bated breath hanging on to every word, Renata. A few, a few days later, another stockman reported an eerie light originating from around the Min Min graveyard, and this time it was bouncing through the air like a ball. Woohoo! To bounce, to bounce, to bounce. That's just like what my husband says when he sees ladies running in sports bras. Oh, okay. So you've got three different people seeing the lights, interpreting them very, very differently. Uh, and but all originating from that interesting graveyard. Yes, mm. I love so, how you're just ignoring me again. Yes. So now the Min Min light, often mistaken for a bright car light, has been seen by thousands of people since the very first sighting, just over a thousand years ago. See, it it couldn't have been car lights when the fellow was out on the horseback. No, 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 no. So despite attempts to chase it down. The Min Min lights have never been caught and they have always outpaced anything that has tried to catch them. And I tried to look online for photos of them too and there's there's not much. I saw one video on YouTube saying, have I just caught the Min Min lights? And when I looked at it, it was the moon. Mm, mm-hmm. it, it never moved. It seemed to be a round ball with a slice taken off the side, which sort of like the moon when it was, uh, was it waxing or waning when it's at that stage? Anyway, it Both. was, mm. yeah, it could have been either, either or. So, um, yeah, no. <laughs> so just a, a very short description here. The Min Min lights are described as large glowing balls of light that dance or float just above the ground. Mm-hmm. They have been witnessed by... Lots of people. Yeah, normally about three feet off the ground they are. Mm-hmm. They are uh, all seen moving rapidly or they are floating or they just remain perfectly still. That, that's, that's a lot of variations yeah. on mm-hmm. an orb. Now, they glow like giant orbs and sometimes hover before disappearing as though someone has blown them out. Mm-hmm. Poof. Oh. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you said it the right way this time, you naughty girl. <laughs> About one in four long-term outback residents seem to have witnessed them, but it also seems to be a disappearing phenomena, which means that as time goes on, they're seen less and less. Hmm. Now, I might have a bit of an argument about that. Oh, because you, you can argue away later, but you've got to wait till I've read out yeah, my yeah, stories. Yeah. Um, because it says that they're seen less and less, but oh, I don't know. I think they're just reported more and more, but they're reported to the type of people who are interested in that phenomena yep. rather than just generally reported. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are different variations of what and ideas of what this is and i'm going to leave that to you mm-hmm. to describe oh okay i'm going to go that's not what you told me what we're doing but okay <laughs> okay uh, i i'm going to go back to um the hotel oh yes please and a little bit of history about the hotel and um to a, see whether a little bit of a funny story with it well, it, to see whether this makes any sense to whether it's got anything to do with the origins of the Min Min lights. And oh, they might be the same phenomena in other areas, but they're not called Min Min lights. Because this is about, and I 
keep on repeating this over and over. Maybe I just like the word. But these were seen in this area of Queensland near the old Min Min Hotel. But if you look at the stories associated with these lights, they're seen in the Northern Territory as well. Yeah, they're seen everywhere. That's that's a long way away. Some people are calling them ghost lights. Yeah. Um, They've got all different sorts of names. Uh, Paddy Lantern is another name I've heard them called. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are talking about the Min Min lights. Um, in this particular area here. So as you said briefly, it's hard to find some information about this. It's Mm -hmm. even harder to find photos. So I'm just going to give you the information uh, and our listeners the information that I have collected. Okay. Then then you can chime in with all the good stuff that you found. And I believe you found a poem. I have. I'm not going to recite it. Oh, I want to recite it. I'll recite it for you when you're ready. You tell me. I'm I'm all ready. I love reciting poetry. So on the 20th December 1934, a poem was widely published in the newspapers. And this is a poem which is believed um, to maybe have led to the notoriety of these lights in that Min Min area. So it's written by D.B. O'Connor and it follows the story of a horseman who tells his tale as he's riding near the Min Min Hotel and he sees what he thinks looks like a phosphorescent bird and he becomes frightened and he rides nonstop all the way to the nearest town which probably was Bullia at that time. Now this poem was released across the country and since that point, more and more reports of the light started to come in and spread. Uh, but the area around the Min Min Hotel was the centre of the greatest activity. Now, although there are some sightings of the lights pre-1930s, most are after the poem was published. And by then, they were widely reported in the newspapers uh, and they were uh, seen uh, over a whole lot of different areas as well as the graves at the back of the ruins of the Min Min Hotel. So I thought I'd explore more about the history of the Min Min mm-hmm. and who might be in those grave sites. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be fabulous. And see if anything there, um, you know, would lead to these weird lights. I'm looking at the poem I've got. And I don't think it's the same as what you were describing. No, I don't think so. That's, so there's two poems. There's two poems. And there's a Slim Dusty song too. Yes. Now, if people don't know who Slim Dusty is, um, he's a very... Oh, I'd love to have a be with Duncan. He's a very, very well-known... Um, country and Western singer. Country and Western singer. Yeah. The hotel site is just off the road between Boulia and Middleton in Channel Country. Nobody, what Country in Queensland. Uh, it was built in the uh, early 1800s and the hotel was one of the stopovers for the Cobb & Co coaches. Now, one of the first hoteliers was William Thomas Cobley Lilly and his wife died in 1897 and she is buried across the creek from the hotel site. Her grave is well kept. So he's got four names and she doesn't get a, a mention. No, no. <laughs> And uh, typical male. It's very different from the graves behind the ruins uh, of the old Min Min Hotel. So it was 1889 when James Collins, a labourer, died of thirst on the road near the Min Min Hotel. The weather had been unbearably hot with temperatures recorded at Winton of 114 degrees Fahrenheit or 45 degrees centigrade. We're going past that these days. It's hot. 
it's hot, but yeah. it's a dry heat. Yeah. So it'll be different than the heat on the, the coastline, yeah, which is very humid. humid. So during this period in history, many people died um, and they were buried near the nearest human habitation. So James died within four miles of the hotel and the back of the hotel um, was a common ground, which seemed to be the place where they would pick up people uh closest to that place that may have died along the way and deposited their body. What was left. Or what was left um, and then buried it. But, um, I mean, the dingoes may have got them, but they prefer babies. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) So William Lilly held on to the licence until 1912 and he handed it over to Jane McMillan. Jane was very mysterious. Oh. And she was only around for she a short time. She had a very time. deep voice. <laughs> very mysterious. Hairy legs and a moustache. She only hang, uh, hung around for a short while. And then she seemed simply to disappear after she hands <laughs> over to Agnes Evelyn Hasted in 1915. Now you've got women. Yes, yeah. this is really interesting. Yeah. They've got women in keeps. Mm-hmm. Very popular in Australia to have women innkeepers. Because they were good. They were good. And that, that this was their place to be able to have a voice and to actually say something. Um, they could actually also tell the men to get out. Oh, at the end power. The, yeah, power. This is back Absolutely. in the days where they had the women's bar and the, uh, the women's lounge and the men's bar. Yes, yes. <laughs> Never the two shall meet. No. Uh, and it was possible that she passed away and was buried out the back of the hotel as well. So when Agnes took over the hotel, she was already uh, in uh, difficulty. She'd led a tumultuous life in her early years. uh, She was a domestic servant in the United Kingdom before heading out to Australia with her brother. And in the lead up to the purchase of the hotel, she had lived many years in the district and she registered stock brands. So she must have been involved in the breeding of cattle. Agnes had had her first dealing with death near the Min Min when she helped William Lilly during the tragic death of his wife in 1897. And then shortly afterwards, her brother-in-law was all over the newspapers. Now, why? He had murdered his <gasps> wife oh, wow. while her children slept, while his children slept beside her. Get those words out, yeah. And then he attempted to take his own life. So he's murdered the mother in the bed and the children were right there. Yeah. And then... It- he tried to take his own life. They didn't touch the children, just the mother. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
So life dealt Agnes her first personal blow in 1898 when her nine-year-old son was lost at Thompson's Tank next door to the Min Min Hotel. He was found barely alive but so badly eaten by ants (gasps) that he perished on the way to Bullia. Oh, no. Oh, my God, how agonising. It was within a few years that... um, the earliest written or documented references about the lights appear. So what we're doing is we're laying the foundation of what could cause a possible haunting or phenomena associated with this. Yes. And there are layers there. Yeah. Is this a haunting? Yeah. It's been around for a really long time, but is this uh, a manifestation of a haunting? Yeah. So the notes were published in a newspaper in 1926 and suggested that it was 1902 when the lights were first seen in the district. Yeah, because I found I had uh, conflicting stories of when the lights were first seen. Mm -hmm. I had early 1890s Mm -hmm. and then I had 1918. Mm -hmm. And here you go, 1902. So it's all over the place. Yep. Typical. The article goes on to say that they were again witnessed in 1914. Another one. When kangaroo shooters let off their rifles at the lights with no reaction. And just prior to that, in 1912, Agnes had lost another child by the name of Horace Frederick Hasted, aged four. Oh, I don't know how these people survived. So much tragedy out there. Yeah. Now, these would have been then all of the people buried at Min Min Cemetery. Yeah. So by 1915, Agnes had taken over the license and she ran the hotel on a shoestring. Some newspaper reports refer to the hotel as a shanty, giving the appearance of it being somewhat disreputable. Ooh, so there could have been Ooh, some a little stuff bit of going naughtiness. on. Oh, she's got to make ends meet. Oh, make, oh. make ends meet. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, isn't it? So most of the time, Agnes ran the hotel with only the help of a domestic servant. Could you call that the name of a brothel? Ends meet. You could. Mm. Uh, Although her son Lionel lived on the site, she and her husband had split and he had moved to Winton where he worked as a carrier. Now, in the beginning, the domestic servant was a girl by the name of Mary Matheson who vanishes about 1916. All of these vanishing people. I I wonder if they've tried to walk out of the place. But, I mean, you could have someone very easily murdering people out there and you'd you'd never find them. Absolutely. Hence Wolf Creek. Yes. (laughs) Now, it's possible that she lies in another one of the graves out the back and may even be the source of some of the very interesting tales that surround the hotel during this time. Uh, I believe you might have one of those to tell. I'm not sure. So it was. Re- oh yes, <laughs> yes. It was reputed that one of the ladies at the hotel would make sure that the men folk were always comfortable oh. during their stay. Well, I'll just pat you down. Are you, are you comfortable? <laughs> and there? it was after this. It was after this that Agnes's daughter-in-law Gladys joined her in running the hotel. Oh dear. Now, tragedy struck again um, for Agnes and her family. Agnes had only one relative in Australia, a brother, by the name of Harry Springthorpe. Oh, that's right. She came out with Harry. Mm, And he was working on a a nearby station. 
um, cattle station. Yep. In October 1917, he and a number of others were employed in fighting a bushfire. The buggy that they were on became encircled by lightning oh. and was in long grass. Oh, no. Now, the men got out and tried to outrun the fire, yeah. but the fire overtook them. Yeah. I, I mean, I just remember seeing the footage from the Canberra fires and how fast that moved, yeah. that fireball. That's, yep. yeah, that's, oh, dear. Now, this is terrible. So oh, the, That uh, wasn't? Just, uh, this is even worse. Um, just there's a bit of a trigger here. So, um, you know, if, if you, you don't want to hear this, just kind of shut your ears la, for la, 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 the la, next la. 20 seconds. Now, when these men were found the next morning, they were still alive. <gasps> no. But it was described by those that saw them that they looked as if they had been roasted alive. <gasps> oh, no. Yep. So Harry and another died before the Cobham Co. coach could get them to the hospital in Bullia. I dare say they would not have survived anyway from um, their Smoke their inhalation, burns. yeah. Uh, after the inquest, it was stated that the men were buried in Bullia, but uh, there is no mention of Harry's grave in the records of gravestones in mm. that township. So the fact that Agnes had a private graveyard behind her hotel and that he was her only sibling, it's pretty... More than likely. More than likely yeah. that she wanted to have his body close by and it's very possible that he was another one of the unmarked graves there on the site. Now, only a few years later, uh, lightning and fire would come again to haunt Agnes. Uh, this time it took her livelihood and left her with nothing but oh. ruins and graves to mark the spot where no 40, previously, 40, pre, 40 years previously stood a beautiful new country hotel. Oh. So on February the 22nd, 1924, a huge storm came through the area. The railway was washed away between Hewenden and Winton, and there were many reports of lightning strikes. Shortly after came the news that the Min Min Hotel had been destroyed by fire. So Agnes's life didn't end there. She moved to Townsville, but was a regular visitor back to her son's establishment, the nearby Hamilton Hotel, and from all accounts, the hotel was a much better, better place of business. It regularly raised money for the hospital in Bullia um, and was a place for excursions for the nearby townsfolk and held county country athletic meetings Ooh. in the sports ground behind the hotel in 45 degree heat. Oh, yeah. uh, but Agnes's life of tragedy was not over yet. In 1922, her son Henry John died, aged 26, with another son's wife dying um, at 23 years old and another daughter at the age of 30. Oh, my you God. Just despair. Wouldn't you just despair? Oh, so then Agnes was forced to raise her grandchild. So in 1953, Agnes passed away and was buried in the same area um, as the famous lights. So, ah. yeah, near, near Min Min. She could be the source of it. So so I'm going to stop it there. Um, so I'm going to stop it at this 1953 period where Agnes passes away and... Um, so we've certainly got yeah. enough um, trauma and deaths and unfinished business uh, and that sort of thing to create a haunting. And yeah. many people think that orbs 
are ghosts, yeah. spirits. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, in an early stage of manifestation or how mm-hmm. they're choosing to show themselves, but mm-hmm. are these ghosts? Mm-hmm. Well, what I what my job was to do was to read some more of the stories of people that have had experiences, um, so we can get more of a sense of what is happening with this phenomena. So there is a local man called Chris Poor. Oh no, this is just going to be. I'm apologising now. Poor Runtata Mary. That was so easily said. Uh, said that when uh, they were a child on the road in Queensland, they were playing and they thought it was a car. He said that it kept coming closer and closer and closer until it got really close. And then all of a sudden, it backed right off. It was fairly bright. I thought it was a truck light. It was right behind us, like someone was tailgating us and then dropped right back off and kept on going back and forth all the time. It was really freaky. Uh, they said, I heard stories, but you never believe it until you experience it yourself, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I mean, particularly in this podcast, we're reading stories all the time. And until something actually happens to us personally, it's, it's hard to mm-hmm. put it in perspective of what's actually happening. Right, another little story for you. Uh, Bealby that we talked about in the opening uh, looked at the Min Min lights and said, I looked in a rear view mirror and there was a single light behind me, she says. When I looked in the side mirrors, it looked like it was three kilometres back. But in the rear view, it was right at the back of the mirror. Now, that's interesting because the rear view mirror can sometimes make things seem further away or closer mm-hmm. because you can flip it for night vision. Mm-hmm. So I just that was just an interesting description of that. And then it disappeared and then it appeared again and then it would just shoot off at the side of the car. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Now, a lot of the reported phenomena, people are all saying there is no sound. So th- th- if you think it was a spacecraft, a UFO, you'd hear something. You'd hear something. Yep. The lights seem to get closer, and then when you go to chase the lights, they go back. Mm-hmm. Quite often, the people in the outback think it's roost shooters with their spotlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was one of the things I read there that said um, that when they shoot at the lights, the lights seem to back off. Mm-hmm. Great. Thanks for shooting at the lights. We don't know who it is. Welcome to Australia. Mm-hmm. Bang, bang. Um Now, this is another story I've got here uh, from a remote cattle station. Mm -hmm. Now, this is Miss Hammond, who runs Boulia's Desert Sand Motel. Uh, Now, she was talking to the news.com.au. We were camping out and we saw this greenish oval-shaped blurry light bobbing up and down. It was parallel to the horizon, about a kilometre away. It's about half a mile and seemed to be a metre from the ground. So what's that about? To three feet, something three like feet, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it would move. It sorry, it moved very slowly to the left, and then came back on itself, and it went on like this for about fifteen minutes. It was silent and very eerie. We're thinking, we're trying to think, could it be a neighbour, a car? But the nearest homestead in that direction was a hundred and twenty kilometres away. Mm-hmm. I was just half as I think 60 miles. So the houses aren't close together in the outback. No, no. <laughs> uh, the next day, Jono went over to where the light was and there was nothing. So there's no burnt ground, no mm-hmm. signs of anything, no ground being flattened or trampled. 
Um, it couldn't have been anything else, and there's no other explanations. It was the Min Min lights. Mm-hmm. Just declared it. Uh, another little story. Uh, a family were camping, and the husband got up in the middle of the night and went out to look at what he thought was the moon. He turned around and saw the actual moon. It was like there were two moons, and then one disappeared. Oh. <laughs> uh, um, and I do have another story. Hang on, I've got. Oh, there's the poem. I'll read that to you in a second. Uh, I've got too many bits of paper, and I haven't numbered them. I'm going to get confused. I know it. So a Territorian family, so this is people who live in the Northern Territory, mm-hmm. uh, may have spotted the lights associated with Indigenous legends. Now, I did try to do a little bit of research on Indigenous legends, and there are some books that were written, and uh, it was really hard to find the stories because then you they would give you a teaser of the start of the story, and then it would stop, and then you'd have to go and buy the book. Well... I went to buy the book. They're out of print. You can't get them. So I couldn't finish off what the story was. However, there was one lady who did tell her story. So I just went to go and look up that story. I paused just so I could look for the story. And of course, I've just tried to sign back into my Kindle account and it's saying it's the wrong password. And I have just fixed that up. (sighs) Anyway, (laughs) she was saying something to do with the fact it was the indigenous um, shaman or the... um, uh, uh, healer mm-hmm. uh, and their power that was creating the Min Min lights, which I hadn't seen anywhere else. So I don't okay. know where she got that information from. Mm. Um, but anyway, back to the Territorian family. Shanai Pracy, we, we, we like the name Shanai, mm-hmm. but this is spelled S H A N A E E. Shanai oh. uh, was returning to Ever Valley from Mataranka sounds like it's in India, with her partner and three young children when they noticed what may have been the Min Min lights. We were only about 10 to 15 kilometres out of Mataranka and my partner said, can you see that light? (laughs) Oh, she said, can you see that light? (laughs) Whoops. It started flickering from one side of the car and jumped to the other. We parked behind a tree to see if it moved. If it was just a star, it wouldn't. And it came out from behind the tree. Dear. This is starting oh, to sound dear. like a horror story. <laughs> it looked as if it was following the car and it would come down towards the car about 100 to 200 metres <gasps> away. Oh. Now, this is really close. A lot of the rest yeah. of them are further away. Mm-hmm. Now, they say that when you see these lights, you should not follow them mm-hmm. because if you follow the lights, you will get lost Mm-hmm. and never return. So they'd heard those legends. They freaked out. And so they kept on heading back to the Mataranka and uh, left the next morning in the safety of daylight. Uh, they said, we were both freaking out. And I said, nope, this stuff, I'm going back. <laughs> <laughs> so they posted their experience um, to the Catherine and Northern Territory newspapers and on several Facebook pages. And uh, people said, oh, that sounds like it was the Min Min Lights. 
or a weather balloon. Oh, <laughs> if in doubt, got to chuck the weather balloon. See, thing it's in. a weather balloon. Yeah. Uh, some things you don't believe until you witness it firsthand. She said, "I've heard many stories of Min Min lights, but never, ever did I think I'd experience." People said, "Don't follow them. If you do, you don't return." Mm-hmm. Uh, so, the Bureau of Meteorology senior forecaster Rebecca Patrick said it was not likely a weather balloon from the bomb, or oh, we don't call it the bomb anymore. It's got to be called the Bureau as they were not released in that particular area. Mm-hmm. So weather balloon ruled out mm-hmm. for all you sceptics or, sorry, cynics. So if you're wondering what BOM stands for, it's Bureau of Meteorology. Yeah. We used to call it BOM up until this week and they've now changed all their social media oh, to, to the, the Bureau. Bureau. Okay. As if anyone's going to know what the Bureau means. Yeah. It sounds more like the FBI. Yeah. All right, so... Apart from that story I had on the line there. Now, before I go to the end, I've got a bit of a legend there for you as well. I'd like you to read, I'd like to read you the poem that I have. Oh, actually, now I've got the Slim Dusty song first. Do you want the lyrics? Just a little bit of the lyrics? Just a little bit, thank you. Yep, all right. Have you ever heard of the Queensland Min Min Light? Heard the old folk telling whispers how it beckons through the light? How your horse will rear in terror and your dog will howl in fright. For there's something mighty here in that dancing Min Min Light. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Love it. <laughs> and the poem I had is called Min Min Lights. In the dark, lonely nights of the Queensland outback, spooky lights may be seen along the old Boulia track. These lights known as Min Min may follow your car. Sometimes they're mistaken for the moon or a star. But if you should chase them and they move swiftly away, give up your pursuit or for your safety, I pray. For bush folk law says if you follow the lights, you may disappear forever like a ghost in the night. An eerie phenomena that can't be explained. Min Min lights are magical. Their allure always remains. Is that the poem you had or is it a different one? No, mine was very different. Oh, I didn't get that one. So that's why I was keen to read that because it had a nice little lilt to Mm. it. Mm. All right. I'm going to go now into my a bit of a legend of what might have caused the lights. Uh, according to legend, the hotel plied local shearers and station hands with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. Who use. were killed when the pub erupted into a wild brawl, or were murdered for their money? I feel like we've got a Sweeney Todd oh. ostrich in story. Come. I don't know where the hell this has come from. It's just come out of the blue, and I thought. What a weird thing that they've they've got this. Um, so at the back of the hotel was the Min Min graveyard, the place where Min Min's unlucky guests were buried without sacrament. Mm. <gasps> buried in unholy ground, rest, mm. restless and vengeful. Mm-hmm. Oh, it sounds like Zach Baggins has been out there given the story of what's happened. It believed the floating lights are the spirits of the Min Min's victims. Others believe seeing the lights are an omen of death to come. In 1937, Perth's Western Mail published a letter from a reader who described seeing the ghost lights just before the death of a witness to a mining accident. Mm Mm-hmm. How convenient. After publication, the newspaper received scores of letters from other readers who had also seen the lights. 
Now, I'm going to go to our final story before we go to what are the Min Min Lights. Uh, we are um, talking now about Bill Bo-Yang, who had a regular comment, uh, column called On the Track. And he had his own encounter with these outback lights. Uh, we were all sitting looking into the darkness, well away from the dying campfire and enjoying the cool air after the heat of the day, when I suddenly saw a light. At first, I thought it was someone waving a lantern, but it rose higher in the air, dancing a few jigs and hovered about, first high and then low, but always keeping at about 50 yards distance. Asking his companions where the lights came from and suggesting that they follow it, he was warned, it'll lead you to destruction. Where that light is, it leads right into a chasm with a drop of three or four hundred feet. As soon as you get close to the light, out it'll go over the abyss. Ignoring the warning of Balderdash, Bo, Bo Yang set off after the floating lights and here is what he found. I strode on into the darkness. I had got to within perhaps 20 yards of that peculiar light, which was still hovering like some huge ball of glowing embers in mid-air, about seven or eight feet from the ground, when suddenly it swerved abruptly to one side. A man's warning voice came through the darkness. The abyss ain't a dozen yards from where you are. Come back. Come back. I stopped but not before I had seen, true to the old fellow's words, that the strange light had indeed drifted out over the great chasm. As I watched, the light hesitated, floated back a little towards me, then as though tempting me to follow, but at the same time annoyed at the possibility of losing a victim. It glided back again over the chasm where, with a few final erratic movements, it dropped from sight. Isn't that it's just very weird? It is. It's. It's also very different to a lot of the other stories that mm. I've I've seen. All right, now Renata, we mm. have to try and come up with something that what is going on with all of this. Mm. So there's lots of theories as to what the Min Min lights are. Some people say it's fluorescent gas that's released from the barren earth. Clouds of bioluminescent insects. A flock of fireflies. Or maybe even UFOs. Or as this person here says, itching for hitching. What? <laughs> An emu with a torch up its bum. Well, fair enough. There you go. Problem solved. I don't think we need to go any further. The Mimin lights are an emu with a torch up its ass. That's a flashlight for those people who might not know what a torch is. I wonder if it could. I wonder if it could do the flashlight experiment like what they do on the, uh, oh, yeah. the ghost hunting TV one, show. One flash for yes, two for no. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, but they, they did get some people who came out to try and debunk it. Mm -hmm. And there was a man called Jack Pettigrew, who was a neuroscientist at the University of Queensland. He reckons he solved it. Oh, okay. Yep. I experienced the phenomenon myself, as well as hearing about it from graziers. Um, so he actually stumbled across it by accident more than a decade ago when he was searching for a rare bird that appears only at night near the town. It's the emu with the torch <laughs> on the That's as rare as you can get. Imagine catching one of those things. 
<laughs> that, that would not be nice. Oh, that's just gold. <laughs> um, he and his team saw what they thought were the eyes of a fox reflected in the headlights, and they were surprised that the bright spot of light was still there when they turned off the headlights. Because if it was a fox... Once the source of the light had gone... That, there'd, that, been, there'd been no light. Yeah. Mm. Um, so he said that the light had fuzzy edges in rapid motion like a swarm of bees, differing colours, and that it moved with a mind of its own. Mm. It's a really good description of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just love this statement. He caught in the Min Min's glow. Grown men could cry, he said. Oh. That's very romantic. I I know, but I don't think I've seen anything that said grown men have cried over the Min Min lights. But anyway, um, they would never be identified by the fear that was evident, he told news.com.au. It was very scary. But he said they are not spirits or UFOs because he's a scientist. Of course, it's not Mm going to be. mm -hmm. But they are something very strange indeed. And Renata, you came up with this story as well. What is it that he thinks it is? The the Fata Morgana, <laughs> or the Mata Fort Gun. What, what is it? <laughs> Somebody called Morgana that's farting. Maybe <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, the so, Fata Morgana. Yeah, Fata. F A T A. Not Fata. Fata. <laughs> Fata Morgana, and that's a mirage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's quite rare. But it has to have very specific uh, climate conditions. And maybe this is why it's disappearing and not seen as much because... Climate change. Climate change. Oh. Oh, that just dropped in my head like a giant penny. Clunk. Uh, So, yeah, it needs... Light can be seen... Light travel over vast distances, even across horizons. um, And he thinks that's what it is. Uh, I mean, I saw a picture of an example of this uh, Fata Morgana and it's what looks like a yacht hovering mm-hmm. above the sea. Mm-hmm. And in some of the information that I found, um, it said that water is involved in all of these sightings. Well, so Yeah, and if you look at mirages in the day, yeah. you can see what looks like water yeah. out across the sand. yeah. yeah. But it's not. Yeah, it's yeah, it's the humidity and the air rising from the ground, and it's like this rippling effect. So he said mirages are fairly common, such as when hot road surfaces appear to reflect the sky. Now, I had a um, really interesting experience as a child when I used to travel to my grandparents' place at Stockton, and um, they you'd get this fog that would or was either a pollution I don't know as I was driving over to Stockton and um, I remember looking up and I could see um, the street lights and everything in the fog above the ground mm-hmm. where they shouldn't have been mm-hmm. and I remember saying to my parents what is that and I was freaked out thinking there was some sort of alien invasion and they just told me it was the fairy lights mm-hmm. but in actual fact, it was this phenomena where the light is distorted and displaced, so it 
where it's not where it should be. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. like putting a mirror up um, across the room and it reflects the light. The lights aren't there. They're mm-hmm. still over at the source, but you can see them. And if you put the mirror up high in the, the sky, then those lights will be reflected up there and it makes it look like the light source is up there. That's, uh, that's very strange. It is. Uh, the Fata Morgana usually occurs when the air is colder on the ground than above. It's called a temperature inversion. Uh, and under circumstances, light can be bent, which, I mean, light's not supposed to be able to be bent, Mm. across the atmosphere, creating projections of images from hundreds of kilometres away that would be otherwise invisible. Now, he actually tested his theory by driving his car 10 kilometres into the desert and parked it behind a small hill to ensure it was completely obscured. So apparently he was able to replicate um, his companions reported via radio, seeing a bobbing light just above the horizon, half the size of the full moon changing from vivid red to orange yellow then green as Pettigrew switched his headlights on and off uh, the the light disappeared and returned so that doesn't explain for this light moving from one side of a car to another I know when the car is still but are they talking about like it's physically at either side or is it I mean is it the car behind them on the road that is going around um, sort of bends of the road or is there something distorting the light? I don't know. I I think this is a great scientific uh, explanation of what it could be, but maybe there's, I don't know. Mm. Maybe we need to talk to Cade. Yeah, we should talk to yeah, Cade on the Believe do, Podcast. From the Believe Podcast and do a, an episode he, with Cade. He's done two episodes on this. Yes. Uh, so maybe he might like to uh, share those with you guys. Um, so, Renata, what is this? Do you think it's a natural phenomena or do you think it's something supernatural? I don't know. Oh, I don't God. Know. No, I don't know. <laughs> I I would like to... Th- oh, I don't know. There's this, The sceptic in me says there's got to be some logical stuff behind it that makes this happen yeah but the the part of me that says this place is so old this this country is so old and the indigenous people know it inside out back Mm. to front upside down and they have created story behind all of this yeah they've got legend associated to it I want to believe that the this place is far more magical than we give it credit for it would be nice. Mm. Now the question is, would you go visit? Oh. No. <laughs> it's too hot. Oh, someone would have to fly me out there. Yeah. In in July, which is oh. our dead of winter, yeah. I reckon I might go visit. Then the, the conditions yeah. probably won't be right. Have you seen what Min Min area looks like? There's a picture here of where the hotel was, right? Yeah. And I'm just going to turn this around. And for people who can't see this, I will put a photograph of this up onto the True Hauntings uh, podcast um, group on Facebook. Group, yes. Yeah. And as it's you can, flat. A, a, yeah. As you can see, Anne, There's... is there a tree there? No. Is there a hill there? No. Is there anything there? No, it's flat dirt. Right. Okay. (laughs) That's That's a reason why it would be difficult for me. There's no shops. There is nothing. And we don't drink beer. Nothing. Nothing out there. Yeah, no, you're right. So, um, 
There yeah. is a museum they dedicated to the Min Min lights there in Bulia, so yes. you can go see that. Yes, but, there uh, is a, a Min Min Encounter Visitors Centre, which has would anyone be cool. been out there? If you've been out there, let us know. Have you had an experience with the Min Min lights? Please tell us what happened to you. We would love to hear it. Yeah, and I think what we'll do is we'll we'll do a um, a recording with uh, Kate. Yeah. And get him to talk about these um, mini we'll do a follow up. And, and what he knows. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and we'll post it up as an extra. A bonus. As a, as a bonus oh, episode. Oh, we do like bonus. All right. Well, guys, look, we have to wrap it up because we've already hit the hour. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to our grand uh, poopas who are our Patreon supporters, our Parastalkers, and all you people who support us by sharing our podcast and getting it out there. And look, we know not everyone can financially support us, but you can support us by just sharing it around and letting people know that you're having a good time listening to the Naughty Aunties on the True Hauntings podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. Love is all. See you on the dark side. Remember to stay spooky and, and be, be frightfully, frightfully good. good. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of True Hauntings. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. For more on Anne and Renata, follow at Anne and Renata on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Or visit their website, www.anneandrenata.com. <laughs>